Welcome to the Conversion Tracking Playbook, where we share how to overcome tracking challenges that e-commerce brands face today and real-world examples of transforming data into insights. All right, welcome back to another episode of the Conversion Tracking Playbook. I'm your host, Brad Redding, and I have a special guest today, Nigel Thomas from Alpha Inbound. For, uh, we were just chatting about you know just consistency and how you've built the company, built the team, built your personal brand on LinkedIn. But today is all about how to optimize marketing funnels, landing pages, just really just extracting a lot of the insights that you have. Nigel, thanks for joining. Tell everyone a little about yourself in uh, Alpha Inbound. An absolute pleasure, Brad. And I hope, you know, we we get some informative information out there for all the listeners. Obviously, it's been a bit of a crazy world the last kind of 12, 24 months. And it feels like what was working last month isn't even working this month. But that's the world we live in. And, you know, it's, it's a pleasure to be part of it. So, yeah, we're a performance marketing agency at Alpha Inbounds. We work with skincare and supplement brands in the health and wellness space. And our job is to help them find new customers. And the way we do that is we have an in-house UGC content team. We do the media buying, predominantly on Meta, as we were talking about prior to recording. And now we also do customized landing pages. So all areas of that customer acquisition journey um, we control. And that's given us a big strategic uh, advantage in the marketplace, we just rebuilt all of our operations. So feel like we're in a really good position now to bring on more brands. And I'm really excited because we've got a really good team now in the back end. Been expensive. It's been it's been a lot to, to build this thing. Um, but yeah, I'm excited to see where we can take this and obviously to, to share what we've learned today. I've learned so much just from the content you're putting out on LinkedIn. I know you know, I'll share very technical content in the weeds on tracking and attribution and iOS 17 and all that stuff that no one wants to hear about. I'm the broccoli, you're the chocolate, you're sharing all the really the nuggets of wisdom on how to scale efficiently and things you're seeing in ad accounts. So I know everyone listening, listening, you'll get a, a ton of insights out of today. Before I clicked record, you were saying, quote unquote, Meta is in the last three to six months, you've just seen a, a substantial change. Things seem to be humming pretty well. Can you just, just share pretty much what we talked about before I clicked record on your perspective on Meta? We need to look back in time because there's a big fallacy that Meta doesn't work anymore. But the reality is, is that in 2017 and 18, there was a huge supply and demand opportunity and obviously, there were less advertisers than there are now, and there were less bigger players in the market. And obviously, e-commerce was a newer thing. Shopify was great. And you know, I taught some of our clients that were running like half a million in spend to their homepage, and they were getting 6x ROAS, and the ads were just images. Like that, that was how easy it was. But the problem with that is that these companies, they were so focused on acquiring new customers that they didn't build the, the back-end infrastructure to their businesses. They didn't negotiate better relationships with their you know, manufacturers and suppliers. So what does that mean? They built the unit economics of their businesses on unrealistic market conditions. And now, obviously, more competition has flooded into the market. We've got bigger players who are just dumping in loads of money who don't care about you know cost per acquisition they just care about brand awareness and, and impressions and obviously with the fallout and all the attribution issues that you always talk about brad 
you know, it's become a lot more competitive. It's a lot harder. But the thing is, is now these are the real market conditions. So when people say to me, Meta doesn't work, the reality, and I know it's a bit of a hard conversation, a hard pill to swallow, and I've not built an e-commerce business. So who am I to say? But the reality is, is you didn't adapt. And that's the real truth. Meta is a platform. It's, you know, it makes me feel old, but it's been around 18 years now, Meta and Facebook. But the thing is, is it still works incredibly well. Looking across all of our, you know, clients that we manage, a lot of volume going through there, a lot of customers being bought. There's still 2.5 active billion users across Facebook and Instagram. And for a lot of companies, it's still a sleeping giant. The thing is, is most companies are still using strategies in 2017, thinking they're going to work in today's environment. It's a completely different way. It's a different approach. It's a different strategy. But if you get that in place, then it's an extremely, extremely powerful platform. You do a lot with content. And I think that's part of the flywheel you mentioned of creating like rapid creation of content because that you just need to if you want to maximize efficiency and performance, obviously into the the media buying aspect and then the landing page and optimization. I'm gonna I'm gonna tee up this is I think some of the research and some of the insights you've shared over the last six to twelve months just uh through your own LinkedIn and blog and, and the podcast you used to have. But whenever I'm out outside of my office, which can be rare sometimes, I just like to look at human behavior and I can't recall exactly where I was, but this happened a couple of different, pl- different places in the last month or so where I was watching the younger generation and watching the frequency that they were pulling out their phones, pulling up Instagram and apps. It was like, if a minute went by, they were, they were pulling it up, doing like a quick scroll, putting it back away. Two minutes later, pulling it up, doing a quick scroll, putting it away. But the, the immediate thing I thought of was you would, you hear and we both read, Content, content, content. You got a hook. You got you know 0.1 seconds or 0.5 seconds to grab someone's attention, and that can fall in deaf ears if you just hear it over and over and over again. Like, ah, oh, yeah, I get it. But just seeing actually in reality, just sitting in front of my face, like, okay, that is real. So taking that in consideration, where you know that you literally have milliseconds to grab and stop someone's attention when they're just open up for a quick scroll. How like how does that apply into your content creation strategy and philosophy? I'm a big believer in first principle thinking. And a lot of brands, I think, again, because of what happened in 2017 and the golden years of Facebook, have forgotten why people use these platforms. As you were talking about, why do people use Facebook and Instagram and TikTok? They don't use it to buy products. They go there, clue in the name, social media. They go there to socialize with friends. The psychology and the mindset that they're in is they're going there to socialize with friends and They'll see something which can get their curiosity, but it has to obviously be in line with the content of the viewing. If you look at someone, you know, as you talked about looking at TikTok, it's like a slot machine. Honestly, the similarities between that and how I see people in Vegas, which you were talking about before, which I've been visiting the city a few more times recently, is very similar. But the thing is, is a lot of the content the brands put out isn't in line with the, the content they're looking at. People want to be entertained. So how can we intertwine an entertaining story, but what is the actual objective of the ad? The ad is to get curiosity, to get them to the website. Then we can sell them. So we often will look at brands and we do an audit of them, Brad, and we'll see, like we're looking at one of two things. 
Do you have an off-site problem? I.e., are you getting enough traffic to the website for cheap enough? Or do you have an on-site problem? Are you getting enough web uh, traffic to the website for cheap enough, but you're not converting it at the right price? Once you figure that out, which a lot of brands, when we look at the accounts, they don't actually know which one of those problems they have, then you can put the time and resources into fixing it. But when it comes to content, you need to, to understand the psychology of why people are using these platforms. And then you need to build content in line with how they're using it and get that curiosity and get into website. And honestly, a lot of the answers come from deep research. It's great to have all these new tools like AI, ChatGPT. But the thing is, when we come to work with brands, we will look at their content and we'll do deep customer research. So one of the things we'll do is we'll take all their testimonials and we will, you know, some of the brands have thousands of testimonials that we're working with. It's like a seven, eight figure brand. And we look at common language that their customers are using. So it might be like common pain points, common desires, common things around the product, different stories, you know, that the users have had from using the product. And then we look at the content and it's like, there's none of that is mentioned. And it's just like, so how are you even surprised that your content isn't hitting because you've never actually done research on what your customers are saying. The answers are all there. You know, if you look at the comments on your Facebook ads, there's loads of answers in there. So the, the thing is, is what I'd say the, the biggest thing for content brand is doing deep customer research before you ever make any of these, like go and contact influencers and make these fancy videos. The wisdom and the real key to content is deep customer research. Yeah, and I'll, I'll plug an earlier episode with Anthony Morgan that we went through some examples of customer research. We were going into how to, how to actually research competitors. So go find purchasers of competitors and interview them and extract insights and just mining reviews and UGC. And it was uh, his company there. They focused just on conversion optimization and development. He had a very similar sentiment of, say you do research, like you really got to do it because the rewards are going to, if it takes you an extra couple of weeks to roll something out or roll a test out, the the rewards are going to outsize. The, the skincare brand we work with called Eggs Mahoney, an eight-figure skincare brand. We started working with these guys and we found out that the best-selling audience for their product were mothers who have children who have eczema that were told to put steroids on their kids. And instead, they wanted a natural solution. So from that, what did we do? We went out there, we built storylines of scripts. We found, guess what? Mothers who actually have kids who have eczema. Guess what? Believe it or not, these ads, like some of the videos, within six weeks, they brought in like one video, 150,000 in revenue, one video. And then what we did is we built a customized landing page literally for that one hero product talking expanding on what we said in that you know short 30 second video and expanding on the points around you know the children of these mothers and why this natural solution is good for them again just like completely removing all the friction completely focusing and hyper you know customization and you know the conversion rates are amazing and it was all down to that customer research that's a really good example do you have any other examples, maybe customers or non-customers, but just going back to the entertainment value of content, any anything that you've seen out there recently where like they nailed it, amazing job, super entertaining? I mean, I think one of the, the best ones is all the stuff that Liquid Death are doing. Like 
10 years ago to think that, you know, we're drinking bottled water. How could you make something so boring, so fun and entertaining? But these guys managed to do it. And, you know, if you look at the story of the founder, he actually, I don't know if you know this, but what he did is he spent all of his money on this kind of trailer that was uh, showcasing their product. And he, he made a Facebook video and it got millions of impressions and it got like 80,000 people following the page. And that was enough to get investors on board to start their product. But I think those guys, like obviously it's a big example, so maybe it's an easy one. But I think examples like that, where you turn something boring into this like phenomenon and everyone gets behind it and it's just an incredible like way to do marketing and content in this day and age. And the idea, Brad, is I think if we look at consumer behavior again, really, if we look back to the internet, it was blogs and forums. It was a great place to have a community. And now what happened with social media and obviously of advertising, auctioning our eyeballs off for money. Again, we're part of the problem. I get it. But it's now turned into a cesspit of futile comparison, right? So now what people crave more than ever is community. So I think the brands that have content, which is shareable, which is likable, they can get behind a movement, which let's say I'm going to a concert and I don't want to drink alcohol. I want to drink water, but I want to look cool. I can have liquid death. I can have a kind of liquid death with my friends. I can share that on my socials. Like this is incredibly powerful and how people need to think about building community of their content. I've got so many ideas about this, but I think some of those brands that have really, you know, conquered the, the way to do marketing online this day and age. All right, going through our topic. So I'll let you pick from two. Uh, $100,000 a day myths of big, large ad accounts or Advantage Plus campaigns are not the ma- magic bullet. Which which one do you want to start with? The 100K day myths. <laughs> All right. Yeah, let's do it. This is where I'd insert a screenshot of your uh, of one of the shares on LinkedIn, but you can, you're obviously going to go deeper. So what are some of the big learnings that those listening can, uh, can take away? Yeah, so it was interesting. The reason I, I actually joined Alpha Inbound, by the way, is because Josh, who's the founder, so I'm the CEO of Alpha Inbound, Josh is the founder, is one of the best media buyers in North America. Like this is one of these guys who's kind of behind the scenes and he had spent 100K a day in ad accounts. So I wanted to work with someone who actually really knew what they're doing because a lot of these big agencies, they've got you know great people, but they don't have people who've actually like properly scaled accounts. And when you're dealing at that level, it's a different mindset and a different philosophy. So having a lot of conversations with Josh, I was like, well, you know what? I'm just going to share these insights out there. And the post you're actually referencing to, it's got over like 160,000 impressions on LinkedIn. Clearly hit like a, a nerve somewhere. And I think broke a lot of myths. But there was two main points. One, which is the cost of diminishing returns of spending at high levels and understanding how to actually grow a big company and colder and colder audiences. And then the other thing, number two, is the fact that ad platforms are auction systems. And I think most people forget that. And the name of the game is to really understand your unit economics and to be able to spend more to acquire each customer. So I don't know if you want me to unpack each of these two points. Yeah, I think that'd be great. So the first one, which is, like I said, the cost of diminishing returns. When we work with a lot of brands, we work bigger brands now, but we were working with a lot of smaller brands, you know, bootstrap brands. 
at the start when you're not spending much money, again, you have like pretty high ROAS. One of the reasons for that, the way Facebook works, as you know better than me, is it's going to find easy wins. So it's going to find people in its database that will get onto your website faster. And obviously, if you're, you know, targeting for conversion, you're optimizing for conversion, it will be, you know, someone who buys a product, but it's going to find the easiest people in its database to be able to do that. Now, who are those people going to be? If we think back to the whole, you need seven touch points to convert a new customer. The pieces of information, the invisible pieces of information that you can't see in Facebook is how many times does Nigel know about your brand? Like how many times does he come across your brand? It might not be online. It might be, you know, you're in retail. I might have gone into the Walmart and seen your product there. Where do we have that piece of information? We don't, do we? But the thing is, it exists. And that's how customers operate. So when you're getting really high, you know, levels of ROAS, when you're not spending much money, actually, one of the main reasons why is because people already have an awareness of your brand through whatever channel that might be. It might be one of their friends well bought a product and recommended it to you, even if they're online. But when you start scaling and you start spending more and more money, you're going out into colder and colder audiences of people who have never, ever heard of your brand before. When I speak about it like this, it's actually quite simple breaking it down. It's obviously going to cost more money to get that person onto your website because they've never heard of your brand before. So what you're trying to do is you're trying to take someone who's never heard of your brand before to buying a product, which might be, you know, $50, or $100. So that's obviously quite a complicated process. Now, there's ways we can do that with very, you know, specific customized landing pages. But just from a philosophy standpoint, you've got to understand that when you're scaling out into these big audiences, if you have a product which can do so, you're going to have massive diminishing returns. And when we look at the big ad accounts that are spending like two, three, I've had the, you know, the pleasure of seeing ad accounts that are spending five, 10 million a month. These guys don't do any more than like 1x ROAS. That's what people don't understand. And the reason why they can sustain that, well, firstly, the reason why they're doing that is because they understand the competitive advantage of the fact it's an auction system, which we'll get on into in a second. But the reason why they can sustain it is because they've got a really strong back end to their business. So they can have more money to go out there in these auction systems and acquire more new customers because they understand the colder and colder audiences are going to cost more money. But guess what? If they acquire people who have never heard of their brand before into new customers, they're going to eat up more market share. And that's how you grow an actual business. How much of parlaying Facebook and then Google is going to perform better? Or if you get them onto your list, how much does that play into the decision making of Okay, we're we're good with a one, with a one extra OS because we know that we're going to make it back uh, within 30, 60, 90 days. A certain percentage of that through Google Ads remarketing or Clavio remarketing campaigns or just general general newsletter campaigns. Does that play at all into this? You need to know your lifetime value numbers because the thing is, if you're spending a hundred k a day on ads, the the other big problem that we've run into is cash. You'll run out of cash. So. If you're breaking even or losing a little bit of money on that first purchase, you need to know when you become profitable. So a lot of the companies, and we've strategically positioned ourselves in the supplement and skincare place on purpose because we know that these kind of companies they have ex- you know they have returning purchases, they have people who are on subscription for their products. 
we've done that. Like I did that on purpose because I knew that they'd have that philosophy so they'd be able to spend more. So we can easily see, obviously, when that customer is going to break even. Because if you can't work out, let's just say it's a 45-day window, but if you run out of cash within that time period when you're scaling that up, you're going to have you're obviously going to run out of cash and you're going to destroy your business. So I think it's understanding that cash cycle. If you want to spend a lot on ads, and then figuring out ways where you can leverage credit, so you can obviously you know beat that cash cycle and scale up, but then still become profitable. So you need to know your lifetime value numbers. I think again that's a myth in this space because a lot of agencies use LTV as a weapon where they're like just spend more money up front because you know. With lifetime value, you're going to make it all on the back end. That's all well and good. But what about for bootstrap startups? 12 months out projecting into the future, especially if your brand hasn't got started yet, is not particularly helpful. For these brands, they need to know in 30, 40, you know, 60 day windows when those customers are first going to become profitable. And I understand that's complicated, but you need to take the time and maybe you need to work with a fractional CFO or hopefully your marketing agency has some knowledge to do some sort of cost model cost modeling and then obviously the most important thing which most brands don't do is constantly review this on a monthly basis let's turn our heads to the auction system point so ad platforms such as facebook they work on an auction system can you break that down simply put if you can spend three times more than your competition to acquire new customers you will win it doesn't matter how good your content is doesn't matter how good your website is. If you have better unit economics than your competition, you will win in this game. That's why if you have a really strong back end to your business, and that's why these massive brands, they dominate in these auction systems because they have the financial and capital leverage to be able to spend more on the front end because they know what they're acquiring for on the back end. So I'll give you an example that I use in this post, which everyone will know, which is Starbucks. Starbucks have a lifetime value. I think it's actually more like 15,000, but they have a lifetime value of $10,000 for every single customer after they first walked into a Starbucks store. So it's not a surprise that they spend all this money on marketing, right? Because they know their numbers inside out. So, you know, if you have that kind of power where you know that your customer will give you 10,000. Obviously, it's not going to be that for D2C brands. But even if it's a, you know, a, a healthy ratio from LTV to CAC is three to one, obviously, you want to do better than that if possible. But if you know what that number is, you have massive leverage over your competition. And of course, you can get that cost per acquisition down with content. You can get that cost per acquisition down with landing pages. But really, if you can negotiate you know, better deals with your manufacturers, better deals with your supply chain. You've got a really good in-house team that understand profit and you're a really lean organization. That will probably do more for you than anything else. Because if you build all the content and all the great marketing principles on a foundation of really strong financials and unit economics, you will win. Brands that focus on this, it's like every single time they've always won. And as obviously a marketing agency, a brand comes to us, Brad, and they say, well, we've got really strong cash reserves and we know our numbers inside out. So you guys just scale as aggressively as you can. Like it just makes our lives so much easier. Obviously, if we don't have that information, we have to figure it out ourselves. But like I said, simply put, it's more about having your unit economics to a place 
where you can break even, you can lose money on the front end. Because a lot of companies say to me, it's like, well, I need to make all this profit on the front end. And you say to me, it's like, well, we know it's an auction system, we get that, but then they don't map that mindset up with the fact that actually the, the key in the game, like a good place to be, would be to lose money on the first purchases. That means you're you're playing to how these auction systems work. So it's all well and good people saying, I understand the auction system, but why don't they spend all the time figuring out their finances so they can actually compete better in that auction system? In that explanation, it sounds like you, but really ultimately the business is very reliant on having a strong retention team or retention process. Have you found yourself in conflict with a retention team where it's just like you're, you're dropping the ball, you know, our returning customer rate should be 20, whatever the percentage is. Have you ever found yourself within those, that friction where you just, you, you want, you need more? Yeah, that's a really good question. I would say this for market. If we're talking about marketing agencies now, a big problem. And again, this is actually with the whole golden era of Facebook ads. It was easy for marketing agencies. I, it was a really easy game. We didn't really have to do much work. We just slapped up a few images in Canva, ran it to the homepage, and that was pretty much it. And that's why I think a lot of these agencies are having issues now because of resourcing. You need a lot more resource to get the same results in 2023 that you got in 2017. But in line with that, it's about doing due diligence up front. So I take the responsibility that if we get into an account and three to six months down the line, we're not being able to scale anymore because they haven't got a strong retention set up in place. That's on our shoulders because we didn't do our due diligence properly. So I think it's about understanding before you start scaling and spending more, did we have a conversation with the retention team? Did we have a conversation with the brand that we're gonna bring on a retention team? Who is responsible for that body of work and making sure we understand our LTV numbers and to make sure that every customer that we're bringing in, we're squeezing the most out of all of them. I think that's an expectation thing, Brad, I really do. And I think a lot of agencies, they skip that because they're so excited to get the sale. And maybe obviously in this environment, they're struggling. So they're doing whatever they need to do to get brands on board. And then they run into those problems further down the line. I'm a big believer, do due diligence up front and make sure that you have that team in place. And if you didn't, it's on your shoulders. Yeah, I think from my perspective, I mean, obviously, you are in the business of minimizing churn of your own brand customers from moving on. And I think brands, obviously, they have the cash flow pressure and everything else or promises that are being made from others. But if I go back, I 100% agree with the evolution of marketers where five, six years ago, it was, all right, we're going to own just Facebook and and that's it. And then I started to see marketers actually getting a little bit more technical with tracking things that we do. They're like, they're learning Google Tag Manager. They're going into pixel, like debugging because they know that they, if their tracking is shit, then their performance is going to look like shit, even though if it's not, not their fault. Then we see, so I'm seeing more and more both customers and agencies that are historically, it was, we got the ads, but we don't touch anything with the website. We don't touch the landing pages. We might give a few pieces of advice, but we're not touching it. But now I see like what you're doing. We need to own the ad on the platform and the landing page so we can maximize the result of that. And I think if I just play that forward, the reason for the retention question is we all, all know what's going on with the economy and the push on profitability. And when I interview customers of ours, they're pushing for more profitability. So then it's, we need to create the content, like win the bid, convert the customer and retain so that flywheel continues. 
very different skill sets to be a great retention and owning SMS and email and how it all plays back. But I just I see those two kind of like that the marketer going to the landing page and a technical marketer is that's that's going to continue to come together. Maybe it's more partnerships or whatnot. There's probably the next phase of AI and all that, but. That way, the brand, like from the brand perspective, they don't want to have to replace agencies in different parts of the business, like the Google ads and Facebook and email. And they just want everything to, to function uh, like a flywheel. Here's the thing. I, again, take the responsibility of our agency that if they haven't got a really good retention team in place and we don't have a relationship with them, then we bring that to the table through one of our partnerships. And I think if we're going to do our job properly, like, sure. Maybe some people would say we've taken on too much responsibility, Nigel. That's the brand's responsibility to figure that out for themselves. But I know how it's going to play out. If we have a really good customer acquisition thing in place, and it all comes back to customer experience, for example, the skincare one, mothers who have children who have eczema, and that's on the front end, but then the back end retention is completely different and disjointed. Well, that's a terrible customer experience. So what's going to happen long term? Those customers aren't going to stay. The brand's not going to get enough cash and they're not going to be able to reinvest back into the ads. So ultimately, that client will eventually drop off. That's a loss for us. We then have to go out there and find more business. So instead of it getting to that point, we can just spend our time and our resource in-house as an agency to build the partnership with the retention team to make sure we've got congruent messaging across, obviously, the front end and the back end. And I think really good agencies should build those partnerships themselves and come to the brands as almost like, you know, an all-in-one integrated experience to make their lives easier. Because if they do that, you know, they're going to have clients forever. And I think just, you know, the brands, they've got so many things to worry about. Like they don't want to be worrying about how the content agency has to talk to the media buying agency that has to talk to the CRO agency that has to talk to the retention team agency. And I think the evolution of all this and what I've started to see, I was at the agency summit with like three, 400 people in Toronto last week. And actually, just so all the brands know, the agencies are finding it really hard out there, just like you guys, like they're really struggling. And what they're doing in the background now is they're all coming together as a community. And that's how we're going to get through this. But that's really good news to the brands, because that means they're going to come to the brands with more integrated partnerships. And the result of that it's going to be a much better customer experience for your customers. Yeah, yeah. Product development too. A, that's awesome to hear that coming together and, and just helping each other work through because yeah, if the economy is hard, it's hard for everybody. Even product development because you, you're you the front lines of what customers are, what are they reacting to, negative or positive? And I think even feeding that back into product development and future products, I think that's another, another potential error in the future. But Advantage Plus campaigns are not the magic bullet. Tell us why. Yeah, so we've audited about 150 brands in the last six to 12 months. And I speak to Josh a lot, who's in these ad accounts all the time. And I was saying to him, like, what are the biggest misconceptions and what are the the biggest things that we see in these ad accounts every single time? And within the last sort of three to six months, the big one has been the Advantage Plus campaigns. So for anyone who doesn't know what Advantage Plus is from a high level in layman's terms, it's basically stripping away all the targeting. So Facebook does all the hard work for you and you essentially just give it the content. That, by the way, is an indication of where everything's going. Like all the content and all the stuff that used to get you all the big movements a few years ago 
that's all going away. It's all going to get taken over by AI. And the reason why Facebook are doing that is because they're making it easier for advertisers to spend money. So that's why folks on content and obviously CRO and optimization. But the thing is, it's not quite there yet. And what marketers are doing is they're, they're taking ad sets from like their manual campaigns and they're just dumping them in Advantage Plus and thinking that that's just going to solve all the problems when it's not. And if people need to understand that you still need really good quality content, you still need really good customer research and all the basics that work in all the other campaigns are still the things that actually move the needle. So if you have the right foundation in place, when you've got something scaling, Advantage Plus can be a really good campaign, but it's not that it's the magic bullet. And if you've got a really badly performing campaign without any of the basics that you can just dump it into the Advantage Plus campaign, it's going to solve all your problems. That's not how this works. You still need all the fundamentals in place. And I go back again, Brad, to deep customer research and making sure that that content is in line for that one avatar and that one customer. And of course, you're driving that traffic to a landing page which expands on all the pain points that you're talking about in that curiosity piece, which is the content. As we come to a wrap here, I want to go to the customer research. Someone listening who's never done what we're calling deep customer research, what's like a three-step process that they can go through? Well, it depends, obviously, how much data you've got. So surveys, like first-party data is, in my opinion, the brands understand, they leverage, they house first-party data are the brands that are going to have the biggest competitive advantages in the next five years. I really do believe that. Survey data or just behavior data that we infer? It could be survey data, but obviously all of these brands, they have they have customer support teams, right? So where are all of your health tickets going? Are you actually looking at that information? So really, it's, it's a hard question to answer because obviously for a brand that has 100,000 site views every single month and hundreds of thousands of orders, they're going to have a completely different answer to someone who's just starting out. If you have customer data, then look at your customer data. If you don't have customer data, look at other brands' customer data. So if you do have customer data, put some surveys out, ask people, where did they find you? Ask people, what is the biggest reason that nearly stopped them from buying the product? They will tell you all the objections that are running into on your website. Look through, comb through with fine tooth comb your testimonials. There's different tools out there where you collate all of your information to a spreadsheet and you can start getting keywords that come up time and time again. And then what you can do is you can separate those out into objections. You can separate those out into pain points. You can separate those out into desires, into stories. And then you can start building those into your scripts when you go out there and you create new content. If you don't have any customer data, some of the best places to go and do research are you know, Reddit, Quora, Amazon, and obviously just look at the ads from your competition. The other thing is look at the comments on your ads because a lot of people will reveal the answers. Again, obviously there's gonna be some crap in there, but you'll start to see patterns and trends forming. And I think just if you have a community whether that's a Facebook group, whether it's just on your email newsletter. If you have a community where you interact with people, that's where you need someone in the team to start logging that information and categorizing it into those different things I spoke about. And that's where when you go to build out that content, whether it's a landing page 
or whether it's your work with an agency, you can just give them all that information and then you have a really strong foundation to start on. And it means that all of your messaging is going to be congruent to what your ideal customers are actually saying. Good stuff. All right. There's a ton of nuggets of wisdom in here, Nigel. How can people get in touch with you and where can they find you? LinkedIn is probably going to be the best place. So Nigel Thomas, South Inbounds. Just type that in on LinkedIn. I post there every single weekday. I've not missed once since February 2022. So unless I die in a car crash, I'm going to keep posting every single day. And you know, if you're an entrepreneur in this space, even if you're not running a brand, feel free to connect with me. I love having conversations. Conversations with people like yourself, Brad, is how I learn more about the industry. I don't definitely don't claim to be an expert in all areas. And yeah, I think if we all come together and we all talk to each other more, we'll all be better off. So yeah, please connect with me on LinkedIn. It's been an absolute pleasure. Awesome. Yeah, go uh, go connect and you'll, you'll learn. It's like getting 1% better every day. Thanks, Nigel. I appreciate you, bro. Did you enjoy today's episode? If so, we release two new episodes per week. So be sure to subscribe to this podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else that you subscribe and listen to your podcasts. I also have a favor to ask. I'd really appreciate if you could leave a comment or a review so I can learn exactly how to improve future episodes for you. And last but not least, if you want to connect with me, find me on LinkedIn by searching Brad Redding at Elevar. That's E-L-E-V-A-R. Or you can DM me on Twitter. My handle is I am Brad Redding. I look forward to connecting with you. Thanks again. Thanks again.